0: If you uh, watch the news at all, and I usually click on CBC News uh, at least once a day, it's hard to miss the reporting about what they call the Tim Bosma murder trial. It usually has its own box on the page. And the details of that cold-blooded murder are shocking. All the more so because they happened to this plain, ordinary guy, in fact, a nice, innocent Christian guy from an ordinary background. Tim's widow, Charlene, has said, the devil led the vilest form of evil down my driveway and it smiled at me before taking Tim away from me. One encouraging thing has been the way the news has responded positively to the family's faith and to the congregation. Actually, the congregation that surrounds them in Ancaster has gotten a lot of positive coverage. And the CBC even said that while providing that support, the congregation is grappling with deep questions of faith, chief among them around the notion of forgiveness. Their pastor Rita, uh, a friend of mine says, we ask ourselves, how do you love your enemies in a situation like this? What does that mean? What does that look like? Forgive and forget. Does the fact that Charlene Bosma and her her extended family sit there in the trial day after day, does that mean that they are sinning because they're not forgiving? I'm going to read from Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35, a parable of Jesus. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. And then he launches into a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him, since he was not able to pay. The master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt or part of the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, just like he had done, and begged him the same thing. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called that servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you in anger His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And then Jesus concludes, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Our reading today starts with Peter asking Jesus a question. Lord, how many times do I have to forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times? The question, notice, is not about how God forgives. How much does God forgive me? How much do you forgive me? But it's about how much do I actually have to forgive someone who sins against me? And Peter thinks he's being generous here because the the religious teachers of the day had decided on a number course they had to decide everything right so you knew if you were being good or bad so to speak so they said once forgive absolutely sin against you twice forgive if you want to go beyond the law you might forgive three times then everyone would praise you for being generous but fourth time forget it there is no forgiveness so so you see when Peter says seven times He he thinks he's going to get a pat on the back from Jesus. Way to go, Peter. You're, You're catching my glimpse of what the kingdom is about. We are going to be more generous than the religious leaders. But instead, Jesus gives this outrageous answer. I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. And the footnote says, or... 70 times seven or 77 times. There are different ways that you can interpret that. And Jesus exaggerates his answer to make a point. When it comes to forgiving, if you're even counting, you miss the point. Forgiveness isn't about counting or accounting, keeping records. 77 times was like saying always. And then he tells this parable. Sometimes we call that an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And one of the ways to understand a parable is to look for those exaggerations. That's one way to interpret it. That's the original hearers would have heard exaggerations and known, aha, flag. That's that's the point of this story. So right away, the original hearers would have heard a gross exaggeration because the, the, the master is, king is calling in his servants and he's calling them to pay their accounts. And one of the servant who comes in owes 10,000 bags of gold. Now think about this. One bag of gold, one, was worth about 20 years wages. And this man owes 10,000 of them. So it's like saying, in came a man who owed billions and billions of dollars of debt. An unbelievable amount. The servant owes far beyond what is reasonable or possible. It's clearly an exaggeration to make a point. And the king, he decides, well, this loan, I'm never going to get that back from this guy. So he decides to sell, you know, to to have him sold and his family and everything he owns. And then at least he'll recoup something from this loan because it's a lost cause. And then comes another exaggeration. The servant who's in big trouble falls and bows down before the master. Okay. We might expect him to do that in order to ask the master to have pity on him, to spare him his fate. Instead, what he does is ask for more time. Be patient, he says. Honest. I'm going to pay it all back. Everything. Honest. Really? I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I've seen pictures and I've seen my friends' pictures and I know how tiny they look beside that, that chasm. Well, this is like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, and what you have in your hand is a little kid's pail and shovel, and your job is to fill the Grand Canyon with sand. And you're saying, just give me a bit more time. Just a, uh, really, just a bit more. I'm working hard on it. I'm almost there, just a bit longer, and I'm going to be able to do this. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. But that's what the servant promises to do. It's clear that this servant is either a a self-deluded fool or he's a blatant liar. No one could live long enough to pay this debt. And then there's another surprising thing that happens. Because then the master servant changes his mind and he takes pity on him. Why do you think? Because he's convinced? Because like, oh yeah, you're doing such a great job and I haven't seen you for, uh, you know, the last 10 years every week. No, no, I believe you. You're going to do this. Not likely. Instead, it says that he has pity on him. His heart is stirred by compassion, by mercy, and he forgives, looses, the whole debt, and he releases the man. That's the third exaggeration of the story. It's not normal. It's not expected for a master to act this way, especially to such a fool, a disagreeable servant. But we can rejoice that he does. Because God, obviously, is the master in the story. We are the servant. And as we come to him for accounting, we have a long, long, long list of debts. But on this side of the cross, you and I know that they were nailed to the cross with the hands and feet of Jesus. And if we come before him as his servants and kneel before him, We say, not be patient with me, God. I'm going to make this right. I'll make it up to you. But I can't. I can't pay my debt. It's impossible. It's too big. And every day, every minute, I add to it. Please forgive me. And then God, the compassionate king, does. So we left servant number one, released of this great debt. God forgives everything. And what does this happy servant do? Does he rent a a banqueting hall and call his friends and hire some musicians and order some food and have a huge party? Does he sing of his redeemer? Not this guy. Despite what has just happened to him, and you actually get the sense that after he has walked out from the king's accounting, he goes out and finds a small fish, a a little guy in the food chain of life, and he demands his own relatively small amount of money back from him. In fact, servant number one gets violent with servant number two. He begins to choke him. And yet servant number two says the same thing that servant number one said to the king. Be patient, give me time, but there is not one bit of gratitude or compassion in servant number one. He throws number two in jail until he can pay his debt. Fortunately, that's not the end of the story because there are more servants distressed servants who have watched this and they tell the king who calls the servant in servant number one. And he says something like this, look, I canceled all of your debt just because I filled the Grand Canyon for you because you couldn't do it yourself. And now you throw your coworker in jail for a measly bucket of sand. Where is your mercy? Was all that mercy I poured out on you, is that wasted? You received all my forgiveness so you could pass it on. Nothing anyone else owes you can ever be as great as what you owed me. And I forgave you. If you want to live your life by forgiveness, then we both forgive. Forgive. But if you want to live your life by justice, by keeping accounts, fine. You keep accounts on others and I will keep accounts on you. He owes you, you owe me. And the master throws him into jail, or really to the collection company, until he can repay all that he had promised. And then Jesus ends with the kicker. This is how my heavenly father, my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive a brother or sister from your heart. Ouch. Peter asks, how much do I have to forgive someone who sins against me? And we ask the same questions. And Jesus helps Peter, helps us to see that the first thing we need to look at is not the debt on, our, on that ledger that someone owes me, but to look at how we are first forgiven. Before the must, you must pay me, comes the look and see. Look and see. Experience how you look from God's perspective. See what God has done for you first. We hear God saying, I release you from it all. You are forgiven the debt you are owed. Amazing. What we could never hope to come anywhere close to paying, it's gone. By God's compassion. By God's grace. And God isn't done talking yet. He says, I release you from it all. And then he adds, now go and do likewise. Okay, God, okay, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. A great mantra until we run into that person again or they send us an email. You know who I mean, that person. I'm not pointing at Gary Nelson. (laughs) That person, whoever that is for you, And then go and do likewise dies in a sputter. You see, because they owe me. I've got the receipt right here that this pain, this scar, this memory. It's not fair that they can get away with saying those things about me. It's wrong to break into my house at night. Parents are supposed to love their kids and care for them. Abuse is a destructive crime. And it's true. It's all true. God doesn't say that that isn't true. Sin is sin. A debt is owed to you. Do they deserve your forgiveness? Well, do you deserve God's? You've got debt on your ledger and now you have a choice. Do you grasp it tightly? Do you make them pay Is your accounting system based on justice and justice alone? Or can mercy play a hand? I think we have a lot of misconceptions about forgiveness that get in the way. Some people hear forgiveness and they actually think reconciliation immediately think it means that I just have to forget it. I have to let it go. I have to hug him or her again. But forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. There are different steps in the healing process. And I think God's ideal plan is that there is mutual forgiveness and reconciliation. But reconciliation isn't always possible. Uh, Sometimes the person has died. You can't reconcile with them. Maybe you have forgiven, but the other person refuses to forgive you for your part or for what they think you did in it and reconciliation doesn't happen. Or maybe you've forgiven, but the other person hasn't changed and the hurtful behavior continues. Then true reconciliation may not be possible on this side of heaven. So forgiveness does not mean that you submit to a beating one day. Forgive, like many, many women in the church have been told. And then have another beating the the next day and then forgive. And then another beating the next day and forgive. And be around to forgive to receive another beating. You may need forgiveness and protection from harm until healing occurs in you or, or in that someone else, if that ever happens. Read the whole of Matthew 18 for that to be clear. Some people hear forgiveness and think it means letting the other person off the hook to do it again. So like not holding them accountable. But forgiveness is separate from accountability. You can have forgiveness and accountability. Because in the big picture of things, what God wants is for sin to stop. He wants harm to stop. He wants people to live in peace, in shalom with each other. And so sometimes there may need to be a process in place of confronting the offender so that their actions stop. For everyone's good, sin must be called sin and must be stopped. Discipline is part of Christian communal life. And the government also has some authority to act. And another misconception, thirdly, is that people will say, well, I might forgive her, but first she has to ask. She has to show me that she's sorry. I think forgiveness does not have to depend on repentance. It doesn't need repentance first or on the offender asking for forgiveness because that would still be keeping accounts. Jesus says you must forgive the other from the heart. Forgiveness is a matter of the heart. It's what happens in your heart over time perhaps in response to wrong done to you. It may take practice. It takes repetition. It may take a long time. But God wants it. In fact, it's a sign that we understand our own need for forgiveness. So I think you can understand from what I've explained that Charlene Bosma can sit in that trial and yet have forgiven. How do we forgive? I think there are a couple of important things that I want to end with. It can start as simply as saying to God, okay, God, I forgive or help me to forgive so-and-so for what they did to me. And it's best to name that person and that incident what it is that you are forgiving. And it's okay to be very honest with God, to say, I don't feel like doing this, God, but I I will do it. I will try because you ask me to, and I will trust you with the result." Secondly, we need to release that person, that incident, to God. Make clear that we leave them at the foot of the cross. Because in the end, they don't owe us, they owe God. And he can decide what to do with their debt. Thirdly, forgiveness is important. I mean, it's commanded. Unforgiveness is not God's perfect plan for our lives, and we may even need to repent first of our unforgiveness and then ask for God's forgiveness for that, to say, forgive me, Lord, for holding such unforgiveness in my heart. Set me free. Cleanse me. Fourthly, it can be a process. Release may not be instant. Forgiveness can be a journey that takes several months or or years even. You may need to choose to let that incident go again and again. Some people in counseling describe it like peeling an onion. Another layer is revealed and we bring that to God or some aspect of it. And as you do so, it's like picking the barnacles off a boat. You get cleaner. As you go, I think another important thing, fifthly, is that sometimes forgiveness seems to stick better when it's done with witnesses present. Maybe a pastor, a counselor, a friend. If it's an extremely painful incident, you really should go through that process with someone else there. And lastly, how do you know when you have successfully forgiven? I think there are two things. One is when you no longer have resentment, or it's definitely lessened. Resentment comes from the French word to ressentir, to feel again. To feel again. When every time you remember that incident, you do not rehearse it, you do not refeel it, you are not flooded again with the same emotions, followed by the same anger, the same outrage. And I think a second part of that is when your feelings for the other person have changed. Because it's so natural at first to, to wish them ill, right? And to rejoice when bad things happen to them. Now, maybe now you'll see, you'll know. But when you no longer wish them ill, or rejoice when bad things happen to them, you are well on your way. Brothers and sisters, if we have a true picture of what God has done in Jesus... We can more easily let those who owe us go. God wants it from us. He wants his good gift that he pours out on us abundantly to keep on giving. We can't hoard it. It's for his good. He wants it. He wants us to live like he does, having compassion, showing mercy. And honestly, it's good for the ones that we release. Let them owe God instead of us. And finally, it's for our own good. It's a cleansing. It's part of spiritual hygiene. Let's receive our cleansing from God and then not hoard it, but pass it on with wisdom. Let me lead you in prayer. Dear God, you are all knowing and all seeing. You penetrate the dark corners of our hearts by the light of your Spirit. In your light, we see light. Lord, you know the things that have stirred in us through this parable, through your message. And we come to you seeking your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. And then God, show us how we can enact what Jesus teaches us here. So that we can be a people who reflect you, but also so that we Can be cleansed and healed. And Lord, for those very difficult situations, we need your wisdom. For people who are being hurt over and over again, I ask for your protection and your wisdom and your strength that they may stand up against sin. Lead us, Lord, in your way of life eternal.